G'day everyone, Ty Hillam here, and I'd like to welcome you to a very special episode of the Authorship Secrets Podcast. If you tuned into the last episode, then you'll know that I promised you a real treat. Over the next two episodes, I have the privilege of bringing to you two chapters from my mentor, Russell Brunson, and his brand new game-changing book, Traffic Secrets. Over the past 15 years, Russell has built a following of over a million entrepreneurs, sold hundreds of thousands of copies of his books, popularized the concept of sales funnels, and co-founded a software company called ClickFunnels that has helped tens of thousands of entrepreneurs quickly get their message, products, and books out to the marketplace. He's the co-founder of the world's fastest growing software company, a multiple best-selling author, and one of the world's leading marketers. In this episode of the Authorship Secrets Podcast, you'll have exclusive access to the first chapter or secrets as he likes to call them, which will help you with the single most important thing that you need to get right in your book marketing. And that's getting crystal clear on who your dream customer is and then how to find them. Like all of Russell's books, his content is not only informative and entertaining, but it's extremely actionable. I highly recommend you get yourself a notepad and pen because you're going to want to take notes. If you're commuting to work or working out and you just can't do that, you'll want to come back to this episode and play it again. That's how important it is. So without further ado, we'll play the theme song and get into Traffic Secrets, narrated by Russell Brunson himself. Enjoy. What's going on everyone? This is Ty Hillam and you're listening to Authorship Secrets Radio. So here's the real mystery. Why is it that authors are the only professionals who have to work a normal job just to make ends meet? They can dedicate years of their life to produce a work of art that no one ever reads. What if there was a way to earn a real income selling your book and get it into the hands of your ideal reader? What if there was a way for authors to ditch their job and make authorship their full-time profession? That's the glaring question, and this podcast will take you on a journey to this answer. My name is Ty Hillam. And welcome to Authorship Secrets Radio. Traffic Secrets, the underground playbook for filling your websites and funnels with your dream customers by Russell Brunson. Hey, my name is Russell Brunson, and I'm the author of Traffic Secrets. And today I'm going to read to you from the studio. However, before we get started... I want to make a quick informal introduction. I spent the past 15 years mastering the art and the science of getting the right people to come to my websites and my funnels with their credit card in hand. After learning how to do it for my own companies, I created simple frameworks to help entrepreneurs that I have the privilege of serving to get more traffic into their funnels. This book is a compilation of all of these frameworks. I'm a very visual learner, and so for each of these frameworks, I've actually sketched out doodles and put them inside the physical book, as well as screenshot examples and other charts and graphs to help make these concepts simpler to understand. You'll get a lot out of the audiobook, even if you don't see the sketches, charts, and graphs, but you'll get even more if you do have them. Because of that, I do recommend reading along with the physical book as you listen to the audiobook. We've also put together a special PDF with all the sketches and examples for our audiobook listeners that you can download for free at trafficseekers.com slash audio PDF. Thanks again for grabbing the audiobook, and I can't wait to help you get more traffic into your funnels. Introduction. There's a storm coming. April 27, 2018 was the day that my kids and I looked forward to for a long time. It was the opening night of the movie Avengers Infinity War. 
I've been a superhero fan ever since the first Iron Man movie came out, but not long enough to know the entire history from the original comic books, so everything that was happening in the movies was a huge surprise to me. This was the 19th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all of the prior movies had culminated into this epic standoff between Thanos and the Avengers. In the movie, you see Thanos as the ultimate bad guy, but he actually thinks he's doing good. He's concerned that the universe is overpopulated, and he believes that it's his mission to save it. His goal is to gather all the Infinity Stones, put them into his gauntlet like a big glove, and then when he snaps his fingers, restore balance to the universe by killing half of the population. The movie ended, spoiler alert, with a huge cliffhanger after Thanos collected all the Infinity Stones and snapped his fingers. In an instant, half of the people in the universe disappeared. The next day after watching the movie, I was talking to my friend and fellow online marketer, Peng Jun, about the movie, and he said something that sparked an idea. That idea later became an event and since has resulted in me writing this book. Talking about the founder of Facebook, Peng Jun said, Do you ever feel that Mark Zuckerberg is like Thanos and his whole goal is to wipe out half of the entrepreneurs who are advertising on Facebook? He could literally snap his fingers and half the online entrepreneurs would lose their businesses overnight. That statement quickly got my mind racing back to 2003, the year I bought my very first Google ad. I had just purchased a book from Chris Carpenter called Google Cash. It showed me how easy it was to set up Google ads and drive them to any website you wanted. It was simple arbitrage. I would spend 25 cents to get someone to click on my ad, and they would go to my website, and I would hopefully make 2 to $3 in sales for each click I received. At first, it seemed too good to be true, but I decided to set up my first ad in Google selling a DVD on how to make potato guns. When someone would search for potato guns or spud guns in Google, my ad would show up. If they click on my ad, charging me 25 cents, they would end up on my website, howtomakeapotatogun.com. A percentage of the people who landed on this page would then buy the DVD, and I became an instant dot-com thousandaire. I wasn't quite a millionaire yet, but if everything kept working the way it was in those early days, I would have been in just a few short months. But then it happened. People called it the Google slap, but for me it looked like it was the end of my online career. My cost went from $0.25 a click to $3 per click or more. Instantly, half of the online entrepreneurs who were buying ads on Google, including myself, lost their businesses overnight. Most of the people I knew at the time who were making a killing on Google never recovered from the first Google slap. Most of us were confused about why Google would charge 10 times the price of our ads overnight. Soon though, after the dust settled, it started to make sense. Google only wanted the big brands, the companies who could spend millions of dollars a month in ads, not the small guys like me who were just spending a few thousand dollars a month. The small entrepreneurs like myself only made up a tiny percentage of their overall revenue, and we were likely the ones who caused 90% or more of their headaches. They didn't care about us. They only cared about the really big advertisers. And what started as the best way for the little guy to have success quickly disappeared when Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the founders of Google, decided to give us small entrepreneurs the slap. In Dotcom Secrets, I shared the way that I saved myself and my tiny little company from this Google slap was by learning how to use funnels. I changed my little potato gun website into a funnel where I could make more money from each visitor who clicked on my ads. Google's costs didn't go down, so I found a way to pay for those costs. I would spend the $3 per click that Google wanted to charge me, but then I would make $5 to $6 from everyone who came into my funnel. That strategy is outside the context of this book, but I write about it extensively in both dot-com secrets and expert secrets. After that initial Google slap, the entrepreneurs who survived started looking for other ways to save their companies. Some turned to email marketing and others turned to paid ads on blogs and websites, but the majority of marketers started getting the bulk of their traffic from Google's free search platform. We all started to learn how to play the game. We'd get ranked really high for the core keywords that we used to pay Google for, and traffic started coming back into our funnels for free. Again, this seemed like it had to be too good to be true, but for years this was the secret. 
Then one day, just like before, Google decided it was time to change things up once again. The next few years were known for dozens of new Google slaps that affected people who were ranking high in the free search results. Each morning, we would wake up hoping and praying that we were still ranking for the keywords we'd worked so hard to earn. But we were at Google's mercy. Our future was outside of our own control. Each slap would take out another huge percentage of entrepreneurs. Soon they started giving each of these slaps cute little names like Panda and Penguin and Hummingbird. But each new slap meant that a new group of entrepreneurs had to wake up to the reality that their companies had dried up overnight. They had lost all their traffic, and because traffic equaled customers, they had no business. The decade from the early 2000s to 2010 was a constant fight for most entrepreneurs to stay alive. Then, in 2007, the dawn of a new era of online advertising started when Mark Zuckerberg introduced his new Facebook ads platform. Just as Google did when they first opened up their platform, Facebook made it easy and affordable for entrepreneurs to buy ads. The costs were low and arbitrage was simple. Facebook's goal was adoption, to get as many people as possible and as fast as possible to use their ad service. And that's exactly what happened. For people like me, it was like the good old days of Google where I could spend 25 cents in ads and make 2 to $3 back for each click. Many of the entrepreneurs who I'm now coached started their companies around this time and have leveraged Facebook to grow their companies quickly. But for the marketers who have been around long enough to remember the earlier bloodbaths that Google and other platforms have put us through, the pattern of Facebook has almost identically matched what Google did when it started. Step number one, the adoption. Make the barrier of entry easy to get everyone in and using the platform. Step number two, the price hike. Slowly raise the prices to squeeze out the margins, killing off any entrepreneur who doesn't understand how to use funnels. And step number three, the slap. Kill off the 50% of advertisers who cause 90% of their headaches. If you spend less than $1 million per month on ads, you're considered a small advertiser. You only make up a tiny percentage of their revenue, yet you're 100 times harder to support than a big brand who cares a lot less about ROI and more about just seeing their brand everywhere. That day after the movie, Payne Jr. and I joked that instead of a Google slap, we are going to see a Zuckerberg Thanos, we've now nicknamed him Zanos, snap, where 50% of all entrepreneurs' businesses would disappear overnight. If you rely 100% on Facebook for your traffic, then this is your warning that a storm is coming. You should implement everything you read in this book so that you can protect your company and thrive during that storm. On the other hand, if the Zeno snap has already happened and you woke up one morning to a dead or quickly dying business, then this book is your answer on how to save your company and get it to thrive again. Over the past decade and a half that I've been playing this game, I've survived and even thrived during dozens of Google slaps, the death of email marketing, algorithm changes, the rise and fall of tons of social media networks, and the fragmentation of online media. The question begs to be asked, why did we survive when so many other companies have failed? Two reasons we survived when others failed. First, we understand how to use funnels. With funnels, we can make five to 10 times as much money for each visitor who clicks on our ads. So we survive and thrive when costs go up. Second, we have mastered the strategy, not just the tactics behind getting traffic. And these strategies work on all advertising platforms in the past, the present, and the future. If you master these strategies, then no slap or snap can affect the lifeblood of your company. There will be another storm soon, just like there was with Google. It's happened time and time again, and we know that the greatest predictor of the future is the past. This storm is headed our way, and thousands of entrepreneurs are unaware. I feel like I have a moral responsibility to 100,000-plus members of our ClickFunnels community and to the million-plus entrepreneurs who follow me and to anyone else who will listen to prepare them for this storm. Those who master these strategies will absorb the traffic, customers, and sales of those who are not prepared. Master these principles, and you and your company will thrive. An evergreen book about the fastest-changing topic of all time? 
My biggest fear when I decided to take on writing this book was figuring out how to create a book about traffic that was evergreen. After all, how do you teach concepts that will last forever on a topic that changes almost daily? Every book that I've read about traffic in the past 10 years has focused on trendy tactics, which usually become irrelevant within months of being published. Oftentimes they become obsolete before they even get to print. The tactics behind how to get somebody to click on an ad and come to your website literally changes daily. In fact, I know people whose full-time jobs are solely dedicated to keeping up to speed with the changes that Facebook makes to its algorithms and ads manager. If I were to try to give you the latest tactic or hack that works today, by the time you read this paragraph, it'll likely be wildly out of date. How many of us would have known five or six years ago that Instagram would be the powerhouse it is today? Who could have foreseen that messenger bots would be a really cool thing and then be almost dead in the water for a few months because of Facebook's legal troubles, and then shortly thereafter come back to life? What social platforms and technologies are still waiting to be discovered that we haven't even yet conceived? I then started thinking about the wake of the dead businesses I've seen in the past 15 years. So many entrepreneurs found temporary success because they figured out one way to get traffic or they mastered one tactic, for example, Google ads or SEO, but then in one quick slap, they lost everything. I started thinking about why I've been able to not just survive during each of the slaps, but actually thrive. The more I thought about why we've done so well, despite the constant changes, the more I realized I didn't learn traffic the way that most other entrepreneurs learn traffic. Normally, most people learn how to get traffic in the following manner. A new website will become popular and quickly grow to a big user base where entrepreneurs will see an opportunity where they can buy or earn traffic on this new platform. For example, Twitter or Facebook. A group of early adopters start using it and they figure out the tricks to leverage the platform to get traffic. For the next few months or years, they use these concepts to mine out tons of traffic at very low costs. Eventually, more people find out about it and start using these channels. With more demand for this new traffic, the supply goes down, and the platform starts charging more money for each click. An entrepreneur may see the opportunity that this new tactic is created and try to capitalize on it by teaching others how to do it. After learning how to exploit this new traffic, tens of thousands of new people start using the platform. Demand goes up, supply goes down, and the price quickly increases. Others see the success of this new course teaching this new tactic, and they want in. A few dozen copycat courses come out, and now there's a small army of people selling courses on how to leverage this new type of traffic. Demand goes up, supply goes down, and the price keeps going up. Somewhere in this process, you, or the marketing person on your team, sees the ad for the course, so you buy it, you study it, and you start leveraging this new loophole. How much you are paying for these ads will depend on how early you got in, which also determines how much success you'll have when using this tactic. Eventually, the cost will get high enough that most businesses will no longer be able to profitably use these tactics. Those who understand funnels will last much longer because they will make more money from each visitor who clicks on their ads, but this tactic will soon become obsolete. This process is how most people learn to get traffic to their websites and into their funnels, and that's where the problem comes from. How are you supposed to build your foundation for your company on a slippery slope like that? The reason why I am here today is because I started playing this game 15 years ago. There weren't any traffic courses teaching the latest tactics. The people I studied with didn't have the internet when they were growing their companies. The people I learned from were some of the old school direct response marketing greats like Dan Kennedy, Bill Glazer, Gary Halbert, Jay Abraham, Joe Sugarman, Chet Holmes, Fred Katona, Don LaPree, Eugene Schwartz, David Ogilvy, and Robert Collier. These guys didn't have the luxury of Facebook or Google. They learned the strategies of driving traffic before there even was an internet. Instead, they drove traffic with direct mail, radio ads, TV, and newspapers. These direct response marketers forced me to look at marketing and sales in a completely different way than people do today. They trained me on the core strategies of what makes a direct mail campaign work, how to get radio, magazine, or classified ads to profitably drive customers to you. 
The strategies I mastered during a decade of studying direct response marketing gave me a very different lens, which has given my company the ability to be on the front of the new trends. Master the emerging tactics before most people even know they exist. See opportunities that are invisible to most everyone else and laugh every time there's a Google slap or Zeno snap. Moving forward, you have to understand that traffic is people, and people are extremely predictable. The core strategies that I'm going to teach you will outlast and supersede any particular platform so that you can apply them anywhere. The big challenge. Some of you may be shocked or even offended that nowhere in this book, a book entirely about traffic, will you see a single image of the Facebook ads editor or a detailed explanation showing you how to set up your Google Ads campaign. I didn't put any platform-specific screenshots inside this book because I wanted this work to remain evergreen for you. The backends of each of these systems are constantly changing, and any snapshot I take today would be out of date before you even started reading. Instead, we'll be focusing on strategies that don't change, including identifying your dream customers, finding out where they are congregating online, learning how to work your way in, understanding how to buy your way in, creating your own publishing platform, building your own distribution lists. All of these strategies have one big thing in common. When the storms come, the user interfaces change, or the traffic moves, they will still work. They leverage the big media properties such as Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram when they are hot. But also when these platforms change, you can easily move to where the eyeballs go. It worked for me when I was forced to move from Friendster, most of you don't even remember Friendster, do you? To MySpace, to Facebook. And it will work when we have to move from Facebook and Google to the next big networks too. This book will give you the safety and security you need to know that your business, traffic, and leads are all on stable ground. In section one, you will learn how to identify exactly who your dream customers are, where you can find them, and how to get access to them. In section two, I will show you the simple pattern you can use to drive traffic into your funnels from any advertising network, including Facebook, Instagram, Google, and YouTube. I'll also demonstrate how mastering the simple pattern will unlock the doors to a consistent stream of traffic on any of these networks. Finally, Section 3 will reveal powerful growth hacking techniques that will help you to increase your traffic even if you don't have access to Facebook or Google or any of the other advertising networks. Mastering these growth hacks will give you the ability to build your traffic foundation on solid ground. I spent over 15 years learning and mastering these concepts and strategies, and I'm so excited to finally be able to share them with you right now. Section 1, Your Dream Customer. The phone rang. It was Chad. Well, he was Chad to me, but to his patients, his name was Dr. Woolner. Hello? I answered. Hey man, I know it's late, but do you have some time to talk? I'm in a really bad place right now. Sure, I quickly responded. I'll be right over. Just five years earlier, Dr. Woolner had graduated with his Doctor of Chiropractic degree. Shortly thereafter, he moved his family to Boise, Idaho to work as an associate chiropractor for a new clinic in town. His goal wasn't to work for someone else, though. While Chad was an amazing chiropractor, he's an even better entrepreneur, and he wanted to start his own practice. He went through the process of writing a business plan, getting a small business loan, remodeling a new office, getting logos designed, and everything else that goes into starting your own business. I knew that business had been slow ever since he had opened his doors, but I didn't know how slow until I got to his office that night. I'm not going to make it, he said. We're out of money and we have no way to get more patients in the door. I spent some time talking to him about the situation and gave him some possible ideas to get more business. He did something that hit me like a ton of bricks. I went to college for four years to get my degree, and then I spent an additional four years at chiropractic college to become a chiropractor. In all that time, not once did they ever talk about how to actually get patients to come to my clinic. Isn't that unbelievable? They could lock up an entrepreneur for eight years to teach them a skill, but not even spend 10 minutes showing them how to market that skill? To me, it's the biggest problem with our education system, and it's one of the biggest issues that plague new entrepreneurs in any market. 
They believe that if they build a great product or create an amazing company, the customers will automatically follow. I see entrepreneurs who will invest every last penny they have to create the products and services they think will change the world without ever considering who their dream customers are or how they're going to reach them. They'll happily invest in coaching, product creation, design, education, almost everything. But when you tell them to buy ads on Facebook or Google, they freeze. Or when you tell them they're going to have to put in their own time and sweat equity to get visitors organically, they often think that they're above it. Some think, my product is so good, I don't need to pay for traffic. Still, others believe that they're entitled to customers because they feel they built a better product than their competitors. So they wait, all the while thinking, if I built it, why aren't they coming? Yet after coaching hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, I can tell you that people who put all their focus on creating something amazing, instead of also focusing on getting people to actually see what they created, are the people that fail. The biggest problem they have is getting their future customers to discover that they even exist. Every year, tens of thousands of businesses start and fail because the entrepreneurs don't understand this one essential skill, the art and science of getting traffic or people to find you. And that is a tragedy. I feel like I've been called and placed on this earth with a mission to help entrepreneurs to get their messages out to the world about their products and their services. I strongly believe that entrepreneurs are the only people on earth who can actually change the world. It won't happen in government, and I don't think it's going to happen in schools. It'll happen because of entrepreneurs like you who are willing to risk everything to try to make that dream become a reality. For all the entrepreneurs who fail in their first year of business, it's a tragedy when that one thing that they risked everything for never gets to see the light of day. Waiting for people to come to you is not a strategy, but understanding exactly who your dream customer is, discovering where they're congregating, and throwing out hooks that will grab their attention to pull them into your funnels where you can tell them a story and make them an offer is the strategy. That's the big secret. The good news for Dr. Wollner is that after that night, he started geeking out on funnels. He built a client acquisition funnel and learned how to buy ads on Facebook and Google. His funnel now generates new patients for him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to this day, he has a thriving practice. I'm assuming that if you're reading this book right now, you have a product or a service or a skill that you focus countless hours on mastering. This book will become your education on getting people to actually see your art. This section of the book will be focused on answering two very important questions. Question number one, who is your dream customer? And question number two, where are they congregating? When you have a perfect vision of who your dream customer is, it becomes easy to find out where they are congregating. On the contrary, if you don't have perfect clarity on who that person is, it's really hard to find them. When you have completed this section, you'll know exactly who your dream customer is and where they are hiding so you can get their attention long enough to tell them your story. Secret number one, who is your dream customer? I don't know if Alexis will like this, said an executive at Sally Beauty Supply. Confused, my friend Perry Belcher said, what? He set down his new scented hand sanitizer that he had brought in to pitch at the meeting. He picked up his new UV nail polish, handed it to the group, and said, Okay, well, how about this product, he said. They looked at it, opened it up, and smelled it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Alexis won't like this one either, they replied. More confused than ever, and now a little frustrated, Perry brought out his third and final product to pitch to them. In a similar fashion, they looked at the product, gave it a quick once-over, and said, Sorry, Alexis definitely wouldn't be interested in this one either. More frustrated, Perry looked at the two executives he was talking to and finally blurted, Who is Alexis? Is she the decision maker? Why isn't she in this meeting instead of you two? Is she here? Can I just talk directly to her? I know that I can convince her that your company needs to sell these products. There was a moment of silence, and then both of the executives burst out in laughter. Alexis isn't a person. She's our customer avatar, one replied. What? Perry asked. He had never heard of a customer avatar before. I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. Alexis isn't a real person? 
The executives just smiled at each other and then asked Perry to follow them into another room. When they entered the new room, he saw a wall full of pictures of Alexis, a fictitious character who represented Sally Beauty Supply's dream customer. The wall also featured a full bio about who she was, how many kids she had, where she lived, how much money she made, and the type of home that she lived in. The executives then went on to explain that everyone in the company was trained that when they made any decision about what products to purchase, what colors to use in their stores, or what branding, what ads to run, what promotions to create, what their websites looked like, and what music to play in their locations, everything was run through the lens of Alexis's eyes. If it was something Alexis would love, then the answer was yes. If it wasn't something she would love, then the answer was always no. They didn't run a product-centric company. They ran a customer-centric company. Their customer avatars what drove everything from the products they created to the ads that they ran. When Perry first told me this story, I had my big aha. Most entrepreneurs mistakenly think that their business is about them, but it's not. On the contrary, your business is about your customer. If you want customers or traffic to come into your funnels, then you have to be able to find them online. And if you want to find them online, then you have to start to understand them at a much deeper level. Becoming obsessed with your dream customers. The first step in this process is to become obsessed with your dream customers. Companies that become obsessed with their products will eventually fail. As we've grown ClickFunnels, I've seen this happen time and time again. Every company we've competed against, even though some of them had hundreds of millions of dollars in funding behind them, eventually lost to us because they were busy focusing on their products while we became obsessed with our customers. What do I mean when I say obsessed? Well, being obsessed with your customer means understanding them just as well, if not better, than they understand themselves. For many, this is the most difficult part of the process, even though you may have actually been your dream customer not too long ago. Often just remembering how you felt when you were trying to solve the very problem that you're now solving for people is usually hard. I was recently talking to my friend Nicholas Bailey about the fact that most businesses are created from a problem that an entrepreneur had, and their product or service was a result of them figuring out the solution to that problem. Our mess becomes our message, Nicholas said. When you're frustrated about a problem you're having, you look for a solution. If you're not able to find the solution that gives you the results that you want, then you'll likely go on a journey to find or create your own solution. In that way, your problem becomes your business. In other words, your mess becomes your message. If that's true, then you need to look back in time to find the point where you were struggling with the same problem that your dream customer has now. Then you need to remember what you were feeling when you were in that pain. In our community, we have some amazing examples of leaders who have made their mess their message. And one of my favorite power couples is Stacy and Paul Martino. Years ago, they found themselves at a crossroads. Their relationship was broken. Paul had tried for months to stay, but eventually he felt so much pain that he decided to leave. As he broke the news to Stacy late one night, she broke down and cried. Her relationship was over, and the pain she felt was too much to bear. I won't tell their full story here, but the short version is that because of this experience, Stacy knew that to save her relationship, she needed to change first. She put in the work to transform herself, and in the process of her changing, Paul changed as well. After saving their own marriage, they developed a unique process to heal marriage that doesn't require couples' work. Instead, they believe that it takes just one person in a relationship to change it for the good. Their mess became their message, and now they've dedicated their lives to helping others find relief from the same pain that they felt years earlier. With their unique systems and tools, they've helped to save thousands of marriages. In a society where more than 50% of all marriages end in divorce, the students who go through their program only have a 1% divorce rate. Stacy and Paul are successful at finding and helping their dream customers because just a few years ago, they were their dream customers. Because they really deeply understood the pain, they could identify their dream customers' goals and aspirations and can identify where they were congregating to help move them towards those goals. They are a product of their product. In the early 20th century, Robert Collier published one of the great books on copywriting, the Robert Collier Letter Book. In this book, he shares how to really understand your customers. 
If you're going to find them, persuade them to follow you, and hopefully change their lives with the products and the services you sell, you need to know and understand them better than they understand themselves. Collier believed that we as marketers should not be trying to figure out how to create the next amazing ad campaign, but instead we need to learn how to enter the conversations already taking place in the customers' minds. If you want to really understand who your dream customers are and where they are congregating online, you need to be able to enter the conversation that's already taking place inside of their mind and see the world the way that they see it. When you can truly understand the core pains they are trying to move away from and the core desires and passions they are trying to move towards, it becomes really easy to identify exactly where they exist online. As soon as you know where they are online, then you can hook them and bring them into your funnels where you can serve them. We will go into greater detail on how to do that throughout the rest of this book. Now that we have the foundation covered, let's dive into identifying your dream customers with the three core markets, sometimes known as the three core desires. The three core markets slash desires. In Expert Seekers, I introduced the concept of the three core markets or the three core desires. The three desires in no particular order are health, wealth, and relationships. When people purchase any product from anyone, they're hoping to get a certain result in one of those three areas of their lives. So the first question you need to answer is this. Which of these three desires is my future dream customer trying to receive when they buy my product or service? This is the very first layer to getting inside the minds of your dream customer. And for most people, the answer is pretty simple. However, sometimes people get stuck in this question for one of two reasons. Reason number one, my product fits into more than one of these desires. Many products can be marketed towards getting a result in more than one of these desires, but your marketing message can only focus on one of them. Anytime you try to get your potential customer to believe in two things, your conversions will usually cut in half, most times by 90% or more. To target two different desires, you need two different ads leading to two different funnels. Only focus on one desire with each message you put into the market. Reason number two, my product doesn't fit into any of the desires. This false belief was best resolved at one of our recent events where someone told one of my head coaches, Steve J. Larson, this exact same thing. Steve responded by telling the story of Gillette razors and asking which desire a razor fulfilled. At first, everyone was quiet, and then a few people started guessing. Uh, health, another mumbled, or maybe... Um, Steve then played one of the Gillette ads. In it, you see how the story develops. First, a man is shown shaving. After the shave, a beautiful woman gets closer to him, and then the two go out for the night on the town. Finally, the ad shows the two together back at home in their room. After showing the ad, Steve asks the question again a little differently. What desire was this marketing message created for? Instantly, everyone responded, relationships. Most products can fit into multiple categories, even if they may look like they don't fit into any category at all. But no matter what, the key is that your marketing message can and must be focused on only one of the three core desires. I want you to take a few minutes and decide which of the three core markets or desires your product or service currently fits into. Away from pain towards pleasure. Now that you've identified which core desire your product or service is focused on, the next step to entering the conversation inside your customer's mind is to understand which direction they are moving. Every human being on this planet is always moving in one of two directions when they make a decision, away from pain or towards pleasure. Moving away from pain. The first direction that people can be moving in is away from pain. Let me show you a few examples of moving away from pain for each desire. Health, moving away from pain. I'm overweight and I don't feel comfortable in my clothes. I don't have energy and I feel tired all the time. I hate what I see when I look in the mirror. Now wealth, moving away from pain. I hate my job and I want to fire my boss. I have no money saved and I'm scared I could lose my job. Everyone around me makes more money than I do. Relationships, moving away from pain. I'm in a bad relationship and I don't know how to get out. I feel alone and I want to feel what love feels like. 
I feel awkward when I'm around people I don't know. Each of those statements above are conversations that people are having inside of their own minds. Well, these are broad examples. When I actually wrote down the thoughts that my particular dream customer was having, I did three things to try to understand the conversations they were having with themselves each day. Number one, I wrote out hundreds of phrases that I used to say to myself when I was trying to solve this problem for myself initially. Number two, I looked online in forums, message boards, and groups to see what other people are saying when they're trying to get out of pain. And number three, I really tried to put myself in their shoes and wrote out what I believe people were thinking. Exercise. For this exercise, I want you to write down at least a dozen things that your potential future customers are saying or thinking as they're trying to move away from pain. This exercise is something that you should be continually doing every day. I'm always looking for the questions and the statements that people in my market are saying as they try to move out of their pain. Moving towards pleasure. The second direction that people can be moving in is towards pleasure. They don't have a desire for health, wealth, or relationships because they're unhappy. They have a desire because they are happy and looking for more. Let me show you a few examples of moving towards pleasure for each desire. Health, moving towards pleasure. I want to get six-pack abs. I want to be able to run a marathon. I want to eat healthier so I can have more energy. Wealth, moving towards pleasure. I want to buy my dream house or my dream car. I want to grow my company so I can have more impact. I want to learn leadership so I can grow my team. Relationships, moving towards pleasure. I want more passion in my relationships. I want to spend more time with my spouse and my kids. I want to meet more people through networking. Do you see how different these phrases are even though they are addressing the same core desire? You can refer to the supplemental PDF to see them side by side. It's powerful to see that while everyone may be trying to accomplish the same goal, the reasons why they are doing it is almost polar opposites. Exercise. Now I want you to spend a few minutes doing the second exercise. Write down at least a dozen phrases that people in your market who are moving towards pleasure may have running on a loop in their heads. The more phrases you can find, the more traffic streams you'll be able to tap into. So make it a continual process to identify and write down the conversations happening inside your customers' minds. And as you'll see in the next secret, understanding the phrases that are going on inside your customers' minds in both directions, moving away from pain and towards pleasure, will guide you to finding them. The searcher and the scroller. To really understand how to use the conversations that are going on inside the minds of your dream customers, we need to go back in time a few hundred years ago before the internet, before TV, and before radio to where traffic began. Until the early 1800s, people mainly obtained products based on what they needed. They would be in some type of pain, and they would go search for a solution to solve it. It started with food. Our ancestors had a desire for health, food. So they would search for food, kill it, and bring it home. In more modern times, we have stores. When you need food or something else in your home, you would go to the local store, search for what you need, and buy it. In 1886, the Yellow Pages directory was created, and it was awesome for consumers because you could find exactly what you needed, and business owners had the luxury of people simply showing up, looking for what they had to sell. It seemed like the perfect solution, except for one thing. As a business owner, if you wanted to make more money or grow your company, you were not in control. You had to wait for people to have a need in order for them to come and to find you. But then, in 1927, the television was invented. And just 15 short years later, on July 1st, 1942, during the Brooklyn Dodgers-Philadelphia Phillies game in Ebbets Field, the first ever TV commercial aired. At the time, there were over 4,000 televisions in New York, and on that day, while families gathered around to watch the big game on NBC, it was interrupted by the first ever TV commercial. That ad, which was just nine seconds long and cost only $9, featured a map of America with a Bulva watch clock face in the middle. At the end of the ad, a voice announced, America runs on Bulva time. 
And with those nine seconds, the shift from search advertising to interruption advertising had officially begun. People watching TV that night were not searching for a new watch. But as they saw the commercial and the pictures of the watch, it placed a seed of desire in their hearts and their minds. They didn't need this watch, but they wanted it. This TV commercial gave business owners a window where they could grab their potential customers' attention long enough to plant a seed of desire and show the perceived value of what they were selling. No longer would people only buy when they needed something. Now advertisers had the ability to create desire and sell people stuff that they wanted. This interruption advertising started happening in other types of media, such as radio, newspapers, and direct mail. The process was simple. Get a captive audience, entertain or educate them, and then, when they have their full attention, interrupt them with your message. You can then grab their attention and create a desire for the product or service that you are selling. Nowadays, this type of interruption advertising happens every day around you, but I'm guessing you didn't realize how profound of an impact those advertisements actually made on your buying decisions. To show you how effective interruption advertising is versus traditional search advertising behind the scenes, I want to share with you a story from my friend Trevor Chapman. Trevor used to run a big sales team of people who sold alarm systems door-to-door. At the time, if you were to go to Amazon and search for home security systems, you would quickly find hundreds of options, each one competing on price. If someone had a need for an alarm and went to Amazon to buy it, usually they would buy the cheapest one that still had the highest ratings. Trevor then compared people searching online for home security systems to what his sales team did every day. He explained, We would go down the street and knock on people's doors and interrupt them from their days. Minutes earlier, they had no desire for a home security system. Because we interrupted them, though, we had a small window where we could make a presentation and show them the perceived value of our home alarm system. This presentation would create a desire in them to buy the alarms from us. We would then make them a special offer that they could only get from us right there, right then. In less than an hour, we'd walk away with a monthly monitoring contract that would be worth over $2,999 to us in the next five years, as opposed to the $199 version they would get by buying the alarm on Amazon. It's interesting to note that when the internet started just a few decades ago, it followed a very similar pattern. It began with searches. People had some type of need, usually to get out of some type of pain, and they would immediately go to the search engines looking for a solution to their problems. Later, we were all introduced to social media through platforms like MySpace, Facebook, and Instagram. And just like the Bulva ad in 1941, in 2007, Facebook announced the first ever social interruption advertising with Facebook ads. People would be online talking to their friends, posting pictures, liking images and videos. And then, suddenly, your ad would show up in their Facebook feed. You had a small window of time to grab their attention, create a desire for your product or service, and to make a special offer. The pros and cons for search. The pros for search-based traffic is that when they come to you, they're hot buyers who are ready to buy. This is similar to people who walk into your store or find you in the yellow pages and give you a call. The con with search-based traffic is that they're not just searching, they're also comparing options with your competitors. you got to be the price leader as well as the quality leader and the niche leader. People who are searching are also researching all of those things. So until you become good at funnels and offers, you're likely to be trying to beat your competitors by lowering your prices. Unfortunately, trying to be the cheapest product is never a good strategy. The pros and cons for interruption. As a marketer, you can target people who are interested in certain people, ideas, TV shows, or bands, and then you can interrupt them with your ads. You open a small window of time where you can grab their attention and show them the perceived value of what you're selling. You no longer have to wait around for someone to come looking for you. You can now create desire in your dream customers. The pros for social-based interruption traffic is you can target warm traffic based on people's interests. Therefore, you can sell based on the perceived value of your product or service. The con for social-based interruption traffic is that because the customer isn't actively looking for you, you have to become good at your hook, 
story, offer, where you can grab their attention, tell them a story, and then make them an offer. We'll be covering how to do this in more detail in secret number three. Now that you've identified who your dream customer avatar is, what their core desires are, and if they're moving away from pain or towards pleasure, the next question we ask is, where are they congregating? As you will learn in the next chapter, there are congregations where the scrollers are hanging out and congregations you can target for the searchers. That's it for secret number one of the Authorship Secrets book. I hope you've enjoyed that as much as I did and are pumped for secret number two, which as Russell just mentioned, will show you how to find out where your dream customers are congregating. We'll bring you secret number two in the next installment of this special two-part series of the Authorship Secrets podcast. If you found this episode valuable, then please be sure to share it with someone you think could benefit and I will see you next time. Hey, if you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe and to leave feedback. You know, I read all the comments and I really take on board all the feedback. So I'd love to see what you have to say and how you're enjoying the show and anything you'd like me to cover. So thanks in advance.